God is good, amen? Hey, grab your Bibles, go to Genesis uh, chapter 9. I'm going to be reading the first seven verses there. As you find your way there, let me just say that um, we have a couple of extra things we want to talk about today, so uh, if, you, if you have to leave early or cut out during the last song, um, you, you know, go ahead, you can do that, but we have a few things that we want to do afterwards today, after the last song, that, um, that I think are, is going to encourage your heart and is important, and I'd love for as many of you to be here as possible can. So I'm going to try to jump right in here and get right to the point uh, so we have time uh, to do that at the end. But Genesis chapter 9, uh, I'm just going to be looking at the first seven verses. You should have been reading 9 and 10 this past week in the Bible reading plan, but we're just going to be looking at the first seven verses of Genesis chapter 9. <coughs> it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it and from every man. For from from his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Let me pray one more time. God, thanks for today. Thanks for your word. Open the eyes of our heart that we can see wonderful things from it. In Jesus' name, amen. God has never, ever, ever been unclear on what he, he intends to do, okay? Uh, he's never unclear. I'm unclear all the time on what I think I want to do and what I think is best. God is never, ever, ever unclear. This past week, uh, you know, the weather's getting a little bit warmer. Praise the Lord. I love all the seasons. Give me the snow, but then take away the snow. And give me springtime. Um, but the weather's kind of changing, you know, it's kind of in between, and went out to the car one morning to take Rowan to school, and uh, I had not warmed up the car, and it was, uh, it was uh, the window was frosted over, so I got a little uh, gift card out of my wallet, because I didn't have a scraper, and I scraped the window off, you ever do that thing? And it, and it got, like, it did the trick, it wasn't too bad, um, but then we're going down the road, and so we, you know, we're running late, so we got in the car, just jumped in and went, and then I started doing that whole thing, like, it sort of began to fog over again, and you ever do that thing where it's like, and then you've got... Like, you can't really see, then you're doing the window wipers, but that actually makes it worse, and then there's a sun glare coming in, and then finally, finally, like, like the defrost, it begins to warm up, and, the, and you know, the defrost is coming, up, and then you have, like, a little hole that you're looking through, and for some reason, it was defrosting more on Rowan's side, on the passenger side than this, so I was, like, driving like this, you know, to, to, to kind of see, and, um, and I was just, I was just unclear, on what, you know, there was this moment where I was just unclear. God is never like that, okay? God's never like that. And knock that over. Um, he always sees perfectly. And, and that's good news because, because God knows exactly what he wants. And not only does he know what he wants, but he has the power to carry it out. And God has never been unclear on what he's going to bring about. And what we see here in this text this morning that I just read is that God's commitment to sticking with his plan that he had initially put into place. Now let's review real quickly because we're in Genesis chapter 9. We've been walking through these first couple chapters. But what we've seen in the first couple chapters leading up to this is that the eternal God, 
Okay, three in one, uh, one in essence, three in persons. Out of the goodness, out of the joy, out of the overflow, the abundance of grace in his heart, he creates everything. And he speaks it, and he, he creates it by speaking it into being. He, the Bible says in Romans that he, he speaks forth that which is not as though it were. And his word has power to create and to bring about life. And then he creates everything, and then on the sixth day he takes man, and he doesn't just speak man into existence, but it says that he forms him, and he molds him, and he creates man uh, back in Genesis chapter 1, but also as we just read here in chapter 9, he creates man in his image. That they're, like all, all of God's creation was, was made in a special way to glorify God, but, but man has unique ability in that we are created in his image. And it doesn't say that about any other part of creation. That we are created in his image. And so because we bear his image, we have a special, a unique ability to glorify him, to, to, to image him, to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory and his life that he brings about. But we didn't do that. We didn't do that. Adam and Eve didn't do that. We, we didn't do that. And because of the, great, the greatness of the the privilege that is given to us in bearing this image um, also comes the greatness of our, or, or kind of the, the severity of our sin, of our wickedness, that because we've been given this great privilege to bear his image, we, we instead rebelled against that, and we trashed that, and we hurt that. But what I find incredible is that despite man's rebellion and God having to wipe out all of mankind, and that was a mercy that he did that. That was not mean, that was mercy. Um, because the thoughts of man's heart were only ever evil continually. We see here in Genesis chapter 9 that there's not a new plan. God's going to stick with his plan. Because he's never been unclear on what he's going to do. Now he's, how he's going to bring it about. And so I just want to point out here that uh, three things that God is committed to. Okay? Um, they're the same things he did in the beginning they're the same things he's doing here in Genesis chapter 9 they're the same things he's going to do in the end and, and this has great great benefit from us because benefit for us because I'm hoping as we look at these things today um, and I'll try to tie it all together uh, with some of the stuff we want to do at the end of the service today but um, I, I think that this has great potential to help us gain clarity both individually and as a church for what God has for us, because if we can join God in what he's doing, um, we win, <laughs> right? Because God's, God's plan cannot be stopped. First of all, here, I want you to notice that God is committed to blessing, to blessing. God is a benevolent giver. He gives. Again, he did not create the world because he was lonely, he did not create the world because um, he needed something from us. He created the world out of the overflow of his joy and the abundance of the grace that is in his heart. And here, now, even though mankind has been judged, rightfully so, it was a mercy that God did that. In chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons. And he says, Be fruitful, to, fruitful and multiply. Again, back in Genesis chapter 1, God had created man in his own image and he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. The same thing. Um, God is committed to not only blessing us at the beginning, here in chapter 9 as we're looking, 
but also now. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, this is incredible to me, and most of us, we do not live in light of this every day of our lives. Because the Bible says that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Everyone. There is, there is no blessing that God does not that God withholds from those that have trusted in Christ. Nothing. You don't, you don't have to earn it, just like Adam and Eve didn't earn it at the beginning. They didn't earn the garden. They didn't earn the, to, the right to bear God's image. God gave it to them. That God blesses us abundantly, pours out his mercy and his grace. He was committed to do that in the beginning. He's committed to do it here even after the flood, and he's committed to still doing it for us in Christ. Secondly, not only is God committed to blessing us, but God is also committed to giving us dignity. God is committed to giving us dignity. This is incredible because at the heart of our sin, I would argue, this is why our sin is, is mindless, doesn't make sense. That's why you can't just reason with your sin. You can't like, you know, have a logical conversation with your sin. That's not going to work. Sin is madness. It is insanity. It cannot be reasoned with. And, and our sin causes us to actually destroy our own dignity that God has given us. God says to them here, be fruitful and multiply. And you see that in verse 1. You also see that in verse 7. Again, in this short little passage, this is kind of like an inclusio. It's a, um, they're, they're kind of bookends that God here gives us command at the beginning and then to be fruitful and multiply and to greatly increase on the face of the earth. But the reason he wants us to do that is because we bear his image. Look again at verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This is even post-fall now. So, God was, so man was created in God's image in the beginning, but then sin comes in, and the question will be, well, man, are we still created in his image? The answer is yes. Yes. Every single person that is ever born bears the image of God. Now, it is tainted. It is, it is distorted, but it is not destroyed. It is, we, are not, we don't bear his image in the same way we did pre-sin. Sin messed up everything. It messed up it messed up a lot, but we still bear his image, and God is committed here, even as he's starting over kind of with, with, with Noah, but still sticking with his plan, to give us dignity to bear his image. Um, just a little theological work here. I want to um, read just kind of some direct stuff from Wayne Grudem's uh, Systematic Theology in regards to the image of God and uh, uh, kind of how this plays itself out in our lives, even post-fall. Just listen to this closely. He says, however, since man has sinned, he is certainly not as fully like God as he was before. His moral purity has been lost. His sinful character certainly does not reflect God's holiness. His intellect is corrupted by falsehood and misunderstanding. His speech no longer continually glorifies God as he was intended to at the beginning. His relationships are often governed by selfishness rather than love and so forth. And I don't think any of us would argue with any of that. He says, though man is still in the image of God, in every aspect of life, some parts of that image have been distorted or lost. 
We are still like God and we still represent God, but the image of God in us is distorted. We are less fully like God than we were before the entrance of that sin. He goes on, therefore, it is important that we understand the full meaning of the image of God, not simply from observation of human beings as they currently exist, but from the biblical indications of the nature of Adam and Eve when God created them and when all that God had made was very good. And he goes on and he says, the true nature of man in the image of God was also seen in the earthly life of Christ. And here's where I want to sit for a little bit, is that I want us to understand this morning that God is so committed to us being his image bearers, and he is so committed to giving us that dignity, being allowed to bear his image, that he was willing to send his son to die so that we could have that privilege, so that we could have that dignity. Now, again, in the end, it's all for his honor and his glory. We'll come back and we'll, we'll see that here when we talk more about that command to be fruitful and multiply. But, guys, this has, this has radical implications for a lot of stuff in our life. Abortion. It is man destroying the image of God. Homosexuality. And listen, I want to be as clear as I can. If you are here this morning and you struggle with homosexuality, or if you ever have, God loves you. He cares for you. You are not, you, you, you are not more sinful than anybody else. But just like every other aspect of our life, sin has twisted absolutely everything. And part of God creating man in his own, own image is that he created them, male and female. And sin, no matter how it manifests itself in any of our lives or whatever the specifics of the sin is that we struggle with, listen, it, it's madness. There's no rhyme or reason. That's why God doesn't call us to just tame our sin or to try to domesticate it. He came to kill it. And he killed it by allowing himself to be killed for us. And somehow in the miracle of regeneration, the Bible says that when we simply put our faith and trust in Christ and acknowledge that he died the death that we deserve, that then 2 Corinthians 5.21 becomes true for us, that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's called the great exchange. It is an alien, imputed righteousness. It means alien, outside of ourselves, imputed, it is given to us. Okay? It's nothing that we earn. And Christ takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. And now, even though that might be true for those of you, or that is true for those of you that have, that have trusted Christ, you still, there's still a part of you that's That's broken. And we might struggle with all, all sorts of sin. But God, again, is committed to forming the image of God in us for his glory, but also for our good and for our joy. We see in the New Testament, when you pick up this theological idea of the image of God, that Christ is the full, perfect, sinless image of God. 
Fully God, fully man. Come in the flesh, the incarnation. He added to his divinity, humanity. Put on flesh, it's a miracle. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul, speaking of unbelievers, says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the knowledge of not the light light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, then says this, who is the image of God? If you read the book of Colossians, the image of God is a massive theme throughout the book of Colossians, probably the primary theme. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, speaking of Christ, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. Colossians 1 19, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 1 27, Paul says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Again, God is working out the fullness of this image that he wants us to bear and that he originally intended for us to bear through his son now living in us. And he says, which, he says Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. How do we become mature? We look at Christ. Paul says we proclaim Christ. He is the perfect image of the invisible God. And then this reality in Colossians chapter 3, Paul speaking uh, of the believer, of all those who have had their sins um, forgiven and Christ's righteousness imputed to them by faith and faith alone, nothing else. Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have now put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Still with me? So here's the point. I just, again, very briefly here, skipping across the Bible, is that you see God creating man in his own image in the garden. Man falls here in Genesis 9. Man is still created in God's image, and God takes it very seriously. Okay? Um, and, but he's not done. He's still renewing the fullness of that image, that dignity that he has for us uh, through giving his son. And through a relationship with Christ, the fullness of that image is being renewed. It's going to be renewed. We're not going to fully get there on this side of heaven. But over and over and over again, God is committed to making you like Jesus, folks. That's really good news. It's really good news. The most powerful being in all of the universe who has the power to bring about everything that he wills and desires is committed to making you like Jesus. There's hope, right? There's hope. Now, do we play a role in this? Does he call us to follow him? Absolutely, absolutely. This idea of the image of God um, it's the idea of, of an imprint, like a mold, maybe like a statue. If you think of putting a, <coughs> a statue maybe in the, middle of, in the middle of a town or something, why, why do people do that? If you go out to, Holmes, in, to Millersburg, the Holmes County Courthouse, there, does anybody know who the statue, who, who, there's a statue there in the courthouse? Bonus point, it's just a random trivia question this morning. Anybody know who that statue is of by the courthouse? Yes. Who is it? No. Sorry. I appreciate it. Andrew Holmes. And Andrew Holmes. Uh, 
he was uh, apparently a, uh, uh, some sort of a major colonel in the War of 1812. And um, anyway, I'm not here to give you a history lesson on Andrew Holmes or Holmes County this morning. But, but the point is, somebody decided, or a group of people decided to put that in the middle of the town to remind people of him and yes you know kind of what he looks like but also what he stood for right and what he represented and again I don't know the full history some sort of courage or bravery in the midst of the war of 1812 and good leadership and whatever we are the statues if you will but much more than a statue that God has created to bear his image and when people see us to not make much of us but to remind us of who he is right and again this unbelievable privilege gift dignity that God gives to us just by being created by being born Every single person, whether they're a believer or not, is created in the image of God. And they are valuable, and they deserve to be loved, and to be cared for, and to be respected. But the fullness of that image, and I would argue, like if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you are created in God's image. He cares for you. But the fullness of that image is only found in trusting Christ. And along with that, the fullness of your joy. I've told you guys before that the nature of our sin, because it's mindless and because we, our sin causes us to destroy this image of God in us, nobody has done more to work against your own joy than you have. Nobody. Every single one of us in this room as sinners, we are both victim and perpetrator. Every single one of us has been sinned against. Amen? Been hurt. Sin never affects just you, and other people's sin doesn't affect just them. It's affected you. And all of us to varying degrees and in in varying ways. But the other thing is also true. Is that every single one of us is also a perpetrator. Is that we have sinned and it is rebellion against God first and foremost, and so we are guilty for not loving Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But our sin has also affected other people. And it has caused hurt, and it has caused pain. And God, in his mercy and in his grace, is committed to restoring the fullness of the image of God through Christ. I love the little story in Luke chapter 20. Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the seas are just trying their best to really try to pin him down to catch him in his words, to get him to try to say something blasphemous or, or against Rome or anything they can get, or grasping at straws to try to get him arrested. And so they come and they ask him this question on whether or not it's lawful to pay, to pay taxes to Caesar. And so they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their craftiness, and he said to them, show me a denarius, which was a coin. Then he says this, whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. 
And then he gives that famous line, which I'm sure many of you have heard before. He said, then render, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God, that are God's. Now don't miss this. Why did the denarius belong to Caesar? It had his image on it. But who bears God's image? Every single human being ever born. And his image is on you. And here's the implication. You belong to him. And I'm just telling you this morning, even if you're here and you, you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, you belong to him. And that's why when Jesus came preaching the gospel, he didn't just suggest, he didn't say, well, it'd be kind of a good idea for you. But he commanded everyone to repent and believe in him. Not just a suggestion, a commandment. Because he owns you. He owns your life. And that idea of ownership, can we just be honest, that totally rubs us the wrong way, doesn't it? You're not the boss of me. I, oh, buddy, I might have to embarrass you a little bit. Sorry. My illustrations just sometimes just come to me, but when Rowan, I, I, I still, this is like a classic. I don't know if you have those lines in your house from like things your kids said from long ago. And you just, you never kind of let it go. One of my favorite ones, I've got one for each one of my boys. But um, Rowan, when he was in kindergarten, they came home, he came home from school and I always asked the boy, you know, how was your day in school today? Was that, you know, oh good, was everybody nice to you? And usually, yeah, everybody was nice. And I said, well, were you nice to everybody? Yeah, you know, I was like, okay. Well, so I asked him this day, I said, Rowan, how, how was school today? Oh good. And back then he's good. And I said, well, sorry, buddy, I know. <laughs> Poor preacher's kids, I'm telling you. I just pray for them. But I said, was everybody nice today? And he goes, everyone except for Charlotte. I said, Charlotte, what did, what did Charlotte do? Oh, he goes, oh, old Charlotte, see always twice to tell me what to do. <laughs> and I said, well... Woman trying to boss you around. I said, get her used to, but I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. She always tries to tell me what to do. We, we don't want anybody to be the boss of us. How dare God tell us what to do? Well, here's the thing, though. When it, in regards to other people telling us what to do, they're people. And because people don't have all power, because they don't have all authority, because they don't have everything that they'd ever need, whenever we use power, whenever people use power to try to tell people what to do, it's in order to gain power. It's in order to gain authority. It's in order to gain what we don't already have. But guys, God has all that already. He has all power. He doesn't need it from you. He has all authority. He's not looking to get your permission. He doesn't need it from you. He has all resources. And so because of that, his ownership is different than any other sort of ownership. And again, because he has everything, that's what I've already said, like he, he gives. He's benevolent. He blesses. He creates 
us in his image. He's committed to giving us dignity. And I just, by way of application to here, and I gotta keep going, but, and I just wonder how many of you this morning, you have been created in God's image, naturally, every single person here. And for those of you that know Christ, you are being renewed in the image of your creator. Christ is doing it in you. Yet I wonder, even though we've been given that, how many of us are still striving to try to create some sort of image? To try to create some sort of a picture. To try to make ourselves look better. To try to fix ourselves and give ourselves some sort of dignity when dignity has been given to you. By virtue of creation and also, and also in Christ. And I'll tell you what, that becomes exhausting, does it not? Trying to maintain an image. Trying to make yourself something. When God's the only one who can make us anything and change us. But God is committed. He's committed to blessing. He, he's committed to this, this image, this dignity in us. And he's also created to his mission this idea of multiplication. And again here, all these things, they all dovetail together that it goes forward in God's blessing. We're, we're created in his image. But this now, when we understand that we're created in his image and that we're made to reflect him, um, it, it's, you understand why he gives this command and why he's so adamant about it and he sticks with it. To be fruitful and to multiply. He, does, he did it in the beginning with Adam and Eve, and he does it again here, even though man is still sinful. Verse one, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it, verse seven. Is that as image bearers of God, we are to bear his image and to, take and to give him glory throughout the earth. And it's always been this way, folks, is that from the beginning to even now, we, we're to spread out and to take the glory of God around the whole world. And what I really want us to get this morning is that back then, as well as now, I'm convinced we always resist this. We resist this. What we're gonna see, and I don't wanna steal my own thunder here, but next week we're gonna be looking at the Tower of Babel in chapter 11. And again, God gives this command to spread out, multiply greatly, Fill the earth, that his earth might be filled with his glory through us, and now through the preaching of the gospel as well. But we don't do it. And they're going to gather themselves all together, and they're going to stay on a clump, and they're going to just build this tower and try to make a great name for themselves. And God's going to come down and confuse it because he's committed to his plan, and he doesn't have to change his plan. His plan is good. He has all power to fulfill his plan. He's going to confuse the languages, and they're, eventually they're going to they're spread out. But I'm convinced that in the church we do the same thing. In fact, I would argue that this, this plan to be fruitful and multiply, even though that, those exact words are not used, this is exactly what Jesus does in the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28 says, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, here it is, the Great Commission. I hope you know these verses. These are wonderful verses. Very important. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What's he saying? Be fruitful and multiply. Take this gospel out. Proclaim Christ. And again, if you can imagine Adam at the beginning, if you can imagine Noah here, everybody's been wiped out, and, but now God gives him this commission, and you're Noah, and God says to you, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Kind of a tall order, right? Yeah? Maybe a little bit overwhelming? I mean, I don't know, I'm just trying to put myself in Noah's shoes. Imagine the disciples. There's 11 of them. They had 12, which wasn't a lot, but you know, one of them was a shady character, Judas, and he's gone. So just 11. And most of them have never traveled more than maybe 100 miles or 200 miles from their home. And Jesus meets them up on a mountain and he says, I want you to go to all nations and make disciples. You think they felt a little bit overwhelmed? Yeah? Kind of a tall order? Big task? But that's why he gives them these promises. All authority is mine, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The command is, is, is sandwiched between these promises, that all authority belongs to him, and that he will never, ever leave us or forsake us. And what I just want to push today here, folks, as, as I wrap up, is that for us as a church, I, I'm telling you, our blessing is going to be found in obedience to this commandment. Now hear me. Remember what I'm talking about when I begin to talk about blessing and obedience. I'm not talking about earning anything or any sort of prosperity garbage or anything like that. I'm saying the fullness of our joy, the fullness of who God has created us to be and the satisfaction and, and, and all that he has planned for us, the desires of our hearts, it is going to be found in still obeying this command is now found under the new covenant, that we be fruitful and multiply and that we give ourselves, that we give our lives to making disciples who make disciples and filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I'm telling you that just like we're gonna see next week that they did at the Tower of Babel, I'm convinced even believers, we do the same thing today. You think, and I want to be careful here, but, yeah, but you, li listen to me, okay? Just don't take this somewhere, not going, I'm not your Lord, Jesus is. In the end, he's the only one that can tell you what to do. But I am convinced that we are convinced that we think that the fullness of joy and living in the blessing of God means having a nice little house and a nice little retirement fund and a nice little white picket fence and a nice little family at our nice little school so we can go to our kids' nice little sporting events. And if we can just sit in that and just live the American dream and just take Jesus onto it, then everything's going to be okay and we're going to be happy. I... No. <laughs> no. I have no authority to tell you to pick up and go to some country in the 1040 window. I have no authority to tell you that you need to sell everything that you have and go to 
Uganda today. But Jesus does. Amen? He does. Whether he's telling you to go to someplace in Southeast Asia, whether he's telling you to go someplace across town, I'm telling you that if we are committed to obeying this commandment, that we're going to truly experience the fullness of joy that God intends. Again, this blessing here, back to verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, and then what does he do? It's, it's not a blessing like other blessings. Like there, there are other blessings, like in Numbers chapter 6. It's just a, a statement about stuff that, that God will do. Numbers, cha- Numbers chapter 6 says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's a blessing. But this blessing is not like that blessing. This blessing is tied to obedience. This blessing is a command. And the reason it's a blessing is because, again, if the one with all power and authority is commanding us to do it, then we will not be stopped in doing it, right? He blesses them, and he says, be fruitful, be fruitful, and multiply. And that's what God, that's what God has for us. That's what God has for us as a church. Um, I want to get really practical here uh, and just share a couple of things with you. Um, number one, when we started Mercy Hill Church, from the beginning, we always said that we wanted to be a church planting church. We wanted to be a church not just that plants another church, but that plants another church planting church. Now that church would plant a church that plants other churches, and we want to continue to plant other churches. We are now seven years in. That has not happened yet. That has not happened yet but we've not, not lost sight of that either. Um, we believe that kind of like this command in regards to church planting, only God can do it. But as we read the Bible, we see this is what God commands us to do. Be fruitful and multiply. God's saying you will be fruitful and multiply, but they played a role in that, <laughs> right? Um, and in the same way, we want to be intentional about making disciples who make disciples and eventually planting other churches, um, and going forward. And uh, just one of the practical things I just want to share with you, and I was going to do this at the end of the service, but I'm just going to go ahead and and do it now, is some of you guys know this, some of you don't. Um, It's no great secret. It's just last year, um, in would have been beginning of 2020, we had a partnership dinner uh, for all the the church partners at the Carlisle, and we just shared a little bit about this. But this year we didn't do that because of COVID and the get-togethers and all that stuff. But anyway... um, we have a pastoral or ministry internship here at Mercy Hill. And last year we had two guys that did it, Matt and Jonas. Uh, and you guys heard them preach a couple times throughout the year. Um, and uh, this year we have five guys that are participating in it. Uh, and you guys, you guys can come on up right now along with your wives. And let's, let's, go, let's go down front here. Instead, I'll come down. If you guys want to come up. So one of the things I just want to do is just simply introduce these guys to you. We've got Matt and Leanna. Say hi. Hi there. I'm so good at these introductions. I'm the best at these. 
We've got Matt and Jill. Say hi. <laughs> Joe and Tanya. Hello. Jonas and Erica. And Brad and Jen. Frakowski. I say Frakowski because they're not a Miller or Yoder, but we still, we still love them. Um, but these five men uh, are, are participating in the internship. What that practically looks like is uh, just Fridays. I get to spend my whole day with them on Fridays. Um, these guys, uh, I, I want to thank them for their commitment. All the internship is, the internship just sounds, we just, it sounds a little bit more official, but all it is is just kind of a next level uh, discipleship intensive. Um, usually when I disciple guys, or if you're making disciples, you maybe meet once a week for an hour and, you know, do whatever you do, pray together, um, try to grow, grow in God's word. We're just doing the same thing, but we're just, they're spending the, we're spending our whole day together. Um, and I just want to thank them publicly for them taking the time. Uh, you know, they've all got jobs and responsibilities and stuff, but they uh, have sacrificed that to come together to grow in God's word. Uh, and so, just wanted to introduce them to you, first of all, say thank you to them um, publicly, because I'm very thankful for them. These guys have all, are all just beginning to sense a, a greater call of God in their life to serve him in some sort of, you know, next step way, and whatever that is. We don't know fully, fully what, that, what that is yet. Um, uh, the other thing is, is that we believe in order for disciples to be made, you've got to, you've got to train, you've got to equip, but you also have to give very real opportunity, okay? And so uh, these guys throughout the course of this next year uh, are going to be given very real opportunity to preach and to teach here on Sunday mornings as well as many other things. There's much more to ministry than just preaching on a Sunday morning, okay? I want to be abundantly clear about that as I can. Um, but uh, that is one of the ways, and so one of the primary things we do on Fridays is just work on studying the Word, understanding the Word, interpreting the Word, and how to, how to preach the Word, and so we're going to give these guys real opportunity to do that, which ties in with another announcement that, that I want to make, and I, again, I just, I hope I can tie this all together here at the end, because I'm really excited about this. I see the Lord's hand and the Spirit moving in all of these things, but the second announcement that I want to make is, and this will be upcoming in May, June, and July, um, I'm going to be taking a sabbatical uh, from, the, from the church. Now, what that primarily looks like is, is that I'm just not going to be preaching for those three months. During those three months, these guys, along with Matt Rao, uh, we've got a lot of Matts, Matt Miller, Matt Beachy, Matt Rao, um, along with Brad and Joe and Jonas and everybody else, they're, they're going to be preaching those, those Sundays. Let me talk about this a little bit. Why am I taking a sabbatical? couple reasons, okay? Number one, I, I, just, I just need a little bit of a break. Um, about a year ago, not, not quite a year ago, it was probably back in June, so nine months ago, I asked Conrad and Matt if they would be okay with me taking a sabbatical sometime this year. This is our seventh year in. Uh, it has been, it's just been good. Like, I've had no greater joy than to be a part of what God's been doing here at Mercy Hill. Um, but over the last year, I've, I've noticed, and I'm just being totally transparent with you, okay, is I've just noticed my emotions just aren't good sometimes. And, and what I mean is, I can, the longer as we've gone through this over the last seven years, I've, 
it's, it, it's gotten a little bit worse from when we started to now is like I can have about my highs are like the same, but my lows are much lower. And I found myself on, especially on like Mondays and Tuesdays, I don't know why, but just, I would just dip down and I just, and, and I, there's something a few years ago, one of the first years we started, we went to um, a church leaders conference down at Watermark uh, Church in Dallas, and it was very, very helpful uh, to us. But, you know, you go to a conference sometime, or if you ever have done a workshop or anything, and you just, you're drinking from a, you know, uh, a fire hose, but there might be just like one thing that you remember or take away. And the one thing that I remember from that conference that I took away was they were talking to pastors, and they were talking about um, just the propensity for burnout in ministry. And the one thing that this guy said was, he said, here's the thing, though, as we talk about, <laughs> come to mama, that's right. Um, but the one thing that one of the, the guys that was speaking said is he said, you know, the thing we have to remember is burnout is a real thing, but you never get burned out from making too much of Jesus. You get burned out from making too much of yourself. And I, yes and amen. Now, I say that because am I burned out? I, no, I don't think so. But I, I never, ever, ever want this church to be about me. I honestly don't. I'll be honest with you. I'm a sinner like everybody else. And one of the things that I've thought about is as I found myself kind of dipping lower at times throughout the week, and it's very, very regular, one of the things that could be very true is maybe I do think it's about me. And so I just need a break for me to remind myself that my identity is not in being a pastor. It's not in being a preacher. It's not in being anything other than God's son. And, and I want to thank you guys. I want to thank these guys. I want to thank the elders because this is a tremendous grace and privilege to me that I'm able to do this. I don't earn this. I, I, didn't, I don't deserve this. It's total grace, total mercy. But, so while I'm on sabbatical, though, I'm, I, we are going to still be coming to church, you know, and stuff, because this, this is our church. This is my family's church, and I'm looking forward to hearing these guys uh, preach and minister to you. So number one, I, I need to break. I need to be reminded that it's not about me. Number two, I think it's after seven years, it's just a good place for the church to be reminded that it's not about me. Um, I, every now and then, I hear this, and this is just talk, you know, we don't, our language sometimes isn't exactly always accurate, but I, I, I hate when people say, oh, I, I, I've heard people say, oh, I, like, I go to Eric Miller's church, or, so, it's not my church, <laughs> okay? And I don't, you know, nothing's ever, no, nobody means anything necessarily bad by that, but I just, but I think it's a good check for us, for those of you that call Mercy Hill home. I think it's a good time and a good season to be reminded that uh, the church is far more than just me. It's not, it's not me. I'm just trying to play a role in it. The third reason for the sabbatical, um, and again, I'm just trying to be as honest as I can, is the third reason for the sabbatical. I just, I need to take time and just date my wife. 
I love Hannah with all my heart. Um, we, we're, listen, I, I'm just, I'm not the best at this, okay? I didn't plan this. I'm just talking here from the heart. I, I don't want you to, we're, we're, our marriage is, we're okay. We're fine. She loves me. I love her. But, you know, over the last seven years, uh, and hear me, neither one of us is any sort of martyr at all. Everybody sacrifices. Everybody's trying to follow Jesus as best they can. But Hannah has sacrificed a lot um, as I've been busy with other stuff. And in the end, that's, that's my responsibility. And I just need some time just to be with her and just spend time with her. And, uh, and she has done uh, so much and has... Uh, and has put up with so much. And I'm really, really thankful for her. And sweetie, I want to let you know that I'm thankful for you. Um, so those are the three reasons. Does that make sense? I need a break. I think you guys need a break <laughs> for me. And I need to have some extra special time just to, just to date my wife. And just, to, and just to spend time with her. And my boys. And, and the family as well. Um, I believe that in the end, and I, and I hope this is encouraging to you, because in the end, um, I have no idea what God is going to do with these guys and their wives and their families. I have no idea. But, well, I don't know specifically, I should say. I do have an idea. <laughs> God is calling them to serve him in a greater way and to proclaim his word and to serve the church um, and to, and he wants to use them to accomplish the mission. And again, not just them, but, but all of us. And I'm just super excited that God has brought these guys and many others to our church that have a hunger to serve him in a greater way. And, uh, and I'm just excited to see what that's going to look like and how, and how that's, that's going to go. So, does, and I want, does that make sense, everybody? Does anybody have any questions about any of that? If you have questions later on too, please, please, come, please come see me. But I, I honestly, I cannot tell you how excited I am to hear these guys uh, proclaim the word to you, especially through, uh, through May, June, and July. And uh, yeah, just very thankful. Guys, do you have anything you want to say or anything you want to add? If not, that's okay. Good? Okay. Can we just give these guys a hand? <laughs> Thankful for their sacrifice, and you guys, you guys can go have a seat. One other thing we want to do here this morning, again, I think it's timely just in talking about multiplication uh, and, and, uh, and going, um, is that uh, Gen Jump is, is uh, going to be able to go on a little short-term, she called it a ninja missions trip this, uh, this next year. Let me go get you a mic real quick, Jen. She's going to share a little bit about where she's going to be, where she's going to be heading this week. Anybody, if, we, if you know Jen, Josh and Jen personally, I just want to call a few, whoever to come up quick and just going to gather around her and just pray for her. Um, and just lay hands on her here and pray as we, as she heads out this week. You're leaving Wednesday? Yeah. Wednesday, Wednesday. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, 
for Jen. Thank you for her willingness to go. Um, Lord, as we look to your word this morning, you command us to be fruitful and multiply. And that involves going. That involves uh, leaving the place of comfort and going and, and filling the earth. And Lord, we pray that you would just pave the way this week as she goes. Pray that you would greatly encourage her heart. Pray that you would provide everything that she needs. Pray that you'd provide everything that uh, Josh and the kids need, Lord, in every way. You're faithful, God. Lord, would you pray that you would just absolutely litter this trip with divine appointments and with open doors um, for the gospel. And we pray that you would just direct her to those uh, people of peace um, that you talked about when you sent out the 12 and the 72. And uh, Lord, we just pray that uh, in the end that you would establish your church there, that you would create pathways to make disciples who would make disciples and the gospel would take root in a powerful way. Um, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege again of serving you. Thank you that Jen is created in your image, uh, not just physically, but also um, in Christ to bear your image uh, to others that may not know you. And again, we just commit her to your hands and we as a church just send her out for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, worship team. You still here? Okay, I hope so. Come on up, and worship team is going to close us out with a song here. Uh, I'd invite you guys just to